Well, good morning. Huh? Doesn't that make you want to get your own little My Mission placard? You feel like you, I should have one, sit, at least sitting right here as, as we begin the talk. We are in the second week of this new series we're calling My Mission. And it is our hope and our prayer that you discover what it is you have to do. There are many things in our life that we think we have to do. But what is it that you need to do, your purpose, your mission? And as a Christ follower, the beginning of understanding what your mission is has to be to look at the one that you follow, Jesus, and understand what his mission is. And last week, we spent a lot of time talking about this, but I simply want to throw those three words out to you again as we start this morning. He was all about reaching those who were far from God. And what does that mean to us here in Raleigh? There was a study done in early 2000, updated again in like 2007. The percentage moved one. So we'll go from 87%, from 88% of people not in church this morning to 87%. Let's put a number to that. That's close to 800,000 people that are not at church. And Jesus said to go into all the world. So as a, as a community of Christ here, we are accepting that message to go into Wake County, into those people that are far from God. To what? To restore. To restore God's dream for the world, for his children. He desires that we have a right relationship with him. That's why Jesus came. It was his whole mission. It's what drove him and eventually put him on that cross because he wanted to be the one who restored people with their father. And so we have to be about that in our our mission. It's about telling people restoration through Christ and then reproducing the mission. D.T. Niles says that Christianity is simply one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. And so we're to reproduce the mission in others. We are to, if this is going to explode, like Jesus said, hey, from here in Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, if that's going to be fulfilled, then we have to be about reproducing the mission in others. That's how you connect people with God, which is our church's mission statement. Now, It's more than just knowing the mission statement. And this mission statement isn't just the church's mission statement. It is to be our mission statement, our purpose, our mission. Probably saying, I got that last week, Rob. You didn't need to spend three to five minutes telling me that my mission is all about living out the Jesus mission. I simply want to know how to do that. Well, today we begin looking at four missional practices. We're going to look at one of them today. And they come straight out of scripture. So I want to get God's word into your hands. So ushers, if you'd come down, if you do not have a Bible, just signal to them. They will give you one. It is yours to keep. If you simply forgot it and you just want to use it and leave it when you go, do that. Or take it home, give it to somebody who does not have a Bible. We would love that. I have two reservations, though, as we begin to look at these missional practices. Now, Donnie last week said, who are, who are you, our list takers? Mr. OCD boy here, I was like, 
I'm at the top of the list. I know how to make a list. And, and I have a reservation as we share the missional practices because I know how you might approach this. You're going, hey, tell me step one. Tell me step two, step three, step four, because I want to know the steps. And once I know the steps, then I will start checking them off and I will do this, I'll do that. I'll get to the end and say, next, what's next? That's the wrong mindset to have as we approach this. The focus then is really about me. And my wife, Kim, tells me a lot, listen, it's not about you, Rob. (laughs) And so in 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 this missional practice, it's not about us. And so I have reservations as we start to do this that we may make it into that. The other reservation that I have is that you may dismiss the missional practices as too simple. And so you're going to check out this morning and you're going to hurt my feelings. But more importantly with that is that you may dismiss them as simple and they're not deep enough but I, what I want to do is anchor myself and your thought processes on, listen, Jesus did these practices over and over again, not just one time. It was a way of life for him. And so if we are going to be on mission, it has to be a way of life for us as well. So the first missional practice that we're going to look at, the thing that we discovered is that through prayer you participate in the Jesus mission. Through prayer, you participate in the Jesus mission. And you're going, that's all you got? You spent two months as a staff and you're coming and telling me that prayer is an essential practice. But I want to say it's huge. And don't dismiss it. When you look in scripture from beginning to end, You see Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, Solomon, the prophets, the disciples, Peter, James, John, and even Jesus himself prayed. It's that important. Jesus began in prayer and he constantly prayed in his mission. Look at Luke 6, verse 12. This is right when he's about to gather in who's going to be on the team. He says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated as apostles. I'm not sure I would have gone with the same approach. I mean, Jesus, first of all, is God. So did he really need to pray about that? But also there were probably some star players some number one draft picks that were there. And I would have done like, get that image of like when you were in school and you're asked to pick a team. I would have just gone, you, you, and you. And I would have skipped the whole prayer thing. But it says he prayed for what? The, through the night, 12 hours of prayer. I mean, what do you talk about for that long, right? I wonder what the response would be. Later, Todd's gonna come and do what's up. What if he said, hey, I want everybody to grab their pens Friday night from 7 p.m. till Saturday, 7 a.m. We're having a prayer fast. We want you to come and just be in continual prayer for 12 hours. I think what would happen is it'd be this silent, no motion. We we wouldn't have anybody 
sign up for that. But yet Jesus begins, he knows that his mission is important. And he's about ready to populate the team with the first 12 who are going to reproduce this mission. And prayer is absolutely vital. And he picks some interesting guys too, right? They're not the obvious ones. He picked common fishermen, corrupt tax collectors, and then a lot of other people that we would have just passed by. They would have never made the cut, but they were chosen because Jesus went to prayer and knew exactly who he was to bring in. And so prayer is important in figuring out, discovering, and participating in the mission. I know we're all in different spots on our faith journey. Some of you have been praying since you can remember. And then others, you can't remember the last time you prayed. And then there's probably some in between. I prayed at the last meal or I prayed during the last crisis for a test or for a relationship. That's okay. That, that is where you are at right now. What I want us to focus on is the key is to realize that through prayer, we will discover and participate in the Jesus mission. And so a very practical question at this point is how does Jesus pray? What's his prayer like? I mean, we can't tell from what we just read. All it said was he went up at night, he prayed, and then he came down. Did names pop into his head? Are there certain these or thou ratios that we need to use when we pray? We ask, how are we to pray? And we're not the first ones to ask that question. Those disciples that Jesus chose to be on the team watched him go often into a solitary place and they watched him come back. And there's something different about him They saw the intimacy that he had in communing with God. He was different as a result. And they said to him, teach us to pray. I want to know how to pray. And usually Jesus would use parables, stories to instruct. We just got, got off a series where we looked at a bunch of stories. But this is one place that Jesus doesn't use a story to share about prayer. He actually says, pray like this. Now, if Jesus says, pray like this, don't you think we should listen? Yeah. And so they were all ears. We're going to look at Matthew 6 on the instruction, but he also, you can read kind of parallel accounts in Mark 11 and I think Luke 11. You can write those down if you want to look at it later but he's going to give us how to pray. Now, you list takers, you're going, great, just give me the script and I will pray that way. But when you look at the way, and we see it in other parts of scripture, how Jesus prayed, we realize that what he's about to do here is really a model for how we are to pray. It is the spirit in which we are to approach prayer. So it's not wrong to pray scripture at all. As a matter of fact, I would encourage it. There are times when you cannot physically and emotionally pray. Either the circumstance is so heavy, so complex, you don't know where to even begin or what to ask for. And I would simply say, go to the Old Testament and pick out some Psalms 
and pray the psalm. Make the psalm be the prayer for you. A lot of times I call it dialing 911. I go to Psalm 91 and I start in verse 1. And I just read the psalm and that becomes my prayer. So it is completely fine to do that. But when he was asked, how do we pray? This is what he said. And I want all of us to read it together this morning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want to dive into this prayer for the rest of the morning to understand how we are to pray like Jesus. He starts off by saying, our father in heaven. And scholars pretty much agree that behind that Greek word, pater, translated English here, is the Aramaic word Abba, for, for father. Now, father could have a formal definition or word that meant the formal father, but that's not what Abba meant. Here, it's the family form. It's the way Jewish children would address their earthly father. It's the affectionate way that you and I say dad or daddy. And so Jesus is teaching us to approach God as our father, our personal father who is close to us. Right from the beginning, he's teaching his disciples to pray to their father. Now, for some of you, just bringing that up, you don't want to, the, your father or, and the relationship you had or lack thereof makes you cringe when all of a sudden you have to think about your father in heaven as your father. But here's the good news. Look back at that verse. It says, father in heaven, not father on earth. It's your heavenly father, your perfect father. He is the fulfillment of what a perfect father should be. He's caring, he's loving. That's who we are to approach him as, our heavenly father. And for those that struggle with the father image, I would encourage you to focus on scripture that helps you understand who is this heavenly father. Go to Isaiah 40, write down verses 10 and 11 and meditate on that. Go to other scriptures that help you understand who your father in heaven is. Now, some of you have great earthly fathers. Even better, I have a great father. I have an awesome mother. In our prayers, we should say, Father, thank you for my mom and my dad who helped me understand love. But Father, I know that you are greater than them. You are more perfect, more loving, more willing, more caring than they are. Hard to imagine, but you are. And so Jesus is saying, approach God as your personal 
Father, close to you. And then he says, hallowed be your name. And he transitions the prayer to someplace that for me, I don't go to first. For me, our Father in heaven, here's what I need. Father, I need this job worked out. I need this relationship worked out. I need a little bit more money here. But that's not where Jesus goes at all. And so he's teaching us right from the start that prayer is not about what God does for me. Prayer is about knowing my heavenly father. Knowing the one that I am going on mission for and who I'm calling others to go on mission. And Jesus says, hallowed be your name, which is awkward because we don't use that word anymore here. And it meant to make holy or to honor as holy. So your personal father, close and intimate, and he is holy is the way the prayer starts. And then eventually here, Jesus kind of gets to some kind of ask. He says, your kingdom come. What, is Jesus praying for the end of the world to come right now? What was it? We could do a whole series on this. It's spiritual. And all I can say is simply, we, we as human beings are worshipers. Our hearts are going to be ruled by something. Someone, something. We are going to worship something. By default, I want to be king of my kingdom. So do you. You want to be the one where things are happening. And so there's this battle going on. And Jesus is saying, no, it's more about your father's mission. Your kingdom come. It's a way of saying, God, I want you to rule more and more of this heart. I want my heart to grow wider and wider and wider, not with stuff that I want, but with stuff that you want. I want more of you. And then he takes it a step further and he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we all get this. this we all have our dreams, our goals, our aspirations, and they come smack dab in your will, my will. And Jesus is calling us to put his will as much more important, but he practices what he preaches. You remember when he prayed before he was crucified? He was in the garden and he said, take this cup away from me, yet not my will, but your will. He's not calling us into something that he hasn't already done. And this is one of the most, when, when we can get to the point where we actually do this, we say, I'm going to submit my will to yours. There's something that goes on in you that says, I trust you, God, my creator, in the fact that you know what I need. You know what is good for me. And so I am willing to take that step of faith. When we do that and we align and participate with God, it is the most freeing thing you will ever do. It is counterintuitive. It doesn't seem like you, you should let go in order to gain control. 
but trusting your father and realizing it is his mission and you just relax in that and align your will with his. It is the most comforting and freeing thing. It's doing is what scripture says. Your word says, you're the potter, I'm the clay. Shape me, mold me, use me, however you want for your purposes. And then he gets to, finally, he says, give us today our daily bread. He finally asks for something. It finally gets personal here. But we're halfway through the prayer before we get to the ask. And Jesus is saying, listen, prayer is about focusing on God first. I get this messed up. I always, not always, but a lot of times I put me first. And I say, God, if you do this, I don't literally say these words, but if this happens, then I'll do that for you. But Jesus is saying, get it straight. It is about God first before it's you. It's about his provision in your life. I don't like that he threw in the word daily. I don't want to be praying for my meal, my necessities on a daily basis. I mean, does God want me to be poor? No. Some of us will find ourselves in that spot, but God is fully able to meet your needs right there. But what he wants from us is to get in the habit of relying on him. I mean, should I thank him for the food? I see people do that. That seems so... Why should I do that? I'm the one that bought the food. I worked for the money that I used to buy that food. Why should I say thanks? We should give thanks. God gave you the ability to earn a living. And so he's daily providing for you. He's giving you that provision. And so we are to pray for his provision, daily provision. Jesus did. And then he moves into this forgiveness part, which is difficult as well. And we understand, he says, and forgive us our debts. In the church, we understand. We've heard trespasses. We heard sin. Sin is missing the mark. We have God who is perfect and right. So we understand that we need forgiveness. But I think Jesus is the master teacher. Look at his lesson plan for prayer. He doesn't start with, you should confess and ask for forgiveness. No. He makes us first address God as our father. I feel safe as I go and talk to my father. And then he says, he's holy, he's righteous, he's just. All of a sudden, I'm feeling safe, but I'm also feeling all the stuff that I don't do right, I feel this gap. And only then in the prayer does he say, now ask for forgiveness. I'm ready. I see it. What a perfect lesson plan. And I would say with confession, I got two tips. One, be brutally honest with God. And number two, be specific. Be real specific. Write down 1 John 1, 9. It says that if we confess our sins, and I would say label them. When you're talking to God, say, I, I confess that I cheated, that I lusted, that I valued this relationship more than others, that I spent all of my time to be specific. And then that scripture said, 
he will be faithful and forgive. And I also like the next part, he will purify. He will start to change you. So be brutally honest and specific. But he didn't stop there. There's a challenging part about forgiveness and you probably caught it. He says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Oh, I don't like that one. I don't like this part of the prayer. Because in essence, it's saying, if I, if I forgive you a little and I still hold a grudge, then God, I'm praying for God to forgive me a little and to hold a grudge. And as much as I try to reason that through, look at verses, uh, I think it's 14 and 15. I can't, there's no way around it. It is black and white. Children of God forgive. It is not optional. Yeah, but they don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. I don't like this just as much as you do, but it's not optional. But the good news is Jesus Christ's mission, part of it was to forgiveness of sin. So you cannot on your own forgive, but through the one who came for the forgiveness of sins, you can forgive somebody. It's his mission. And then he ends with some perplexing words. He says, lead us not into temptation. I don't know about you. It's not, tempta- it's not God who's leading me into temptation. And, and if you're honest with me, it's not God. It's a whole lot of other things that tend to lead us down a path of temptation. Plus the Bible says in uh, James 1, that God doesn't tempt. And so scholars say, don't read this like God causes temptation. They say, read it more as a rhetorical question to God that says, please don't allow us to go the way of sin. And so Jesus is basically telling us to, to pray, Lord, help me to see the way of evil and to flee from it, to go in the other direction. Because if I go down here, it's a place where you are not. And if I go there, I am not going to be on mission. Help me to go in the completely different direction. Give me the way of escape. And then finally, he says, but deliver us from the evil one. And that's recognition that this battle, I would do a whole series on this. It is just not our flesh trying to fight this sin thing. There is a battle going on. There in the spiritual realm, there is a real tempter. And his name is Satan and he wants to do everything to cause you to go in the wrong direction and to fall and not be on mission for God. And our prayers have to be calling the father saying to him, I'm never gonna win this battle without my father fighting it for me. And so Jesus says, pray for the protection. David Lloyd-Jones once wrote, prayer is beyond any question, the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his highest, uh, greatest and highest when upon his knees, he comes face to face with God. It's through prayer we participate in the Jesus mission. And it's foolish for us to think that we say, God, hallowed be your name. God, my father, 
help forgive my sins, lead me, provide me, provide for others, if we are not willing to align ourselves with the mission of God and let him use us to answer other people's prayers, that through brothers and sisters in Christ, that they would be part of leading somebody out of sin, that they would forgive one another, freeing themselves and others. And we do that and we know that and we participate in it when we pray. We look this morning at a lot of the house. We hope each week we tell you we've got a lot of resources out there. And I would love for you to go to the website, lifeonechurch.com, click on the My Mission banner. There is a daily journal that you can get and print off to continue the learning and the, and the discussion. There's also a calendar out there for We Serve. But also there is an action step that is mailed out every day for each week. This week it will be all about prayer. If you want to get one of those action steps, then simply write my mission on your WhatsApp card. We're not going to spam you after the series is done, but we will send you one email every day and it will deal with the missional practice. The challenge is to be on mission and starting this week to pray like Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I just uh, thank you that it's your mission, not mine. And uh, Lord, we want to walk away from here, I think simply realizing that it starts with you. It, It means we align ourselves with you and we ask for your power and strength to do that. And may we just be all about your mission and only then will we be living life the way it was intended. But Lord, that's hard, very, very hard. Letting go of our lives and letting you lead. But we know that you'll do that perfectly. And I pray that each of us is challenged to do that. And you would speak to us through our prayers as we communion with you, just to let go and follow you. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.